Now you turn please to Psalm number 32. Psalm number 32. Last uh, Sunday we expounded for you Psalm number 31. And this one follows so beautifully and so naturally that it would be most appropriate for us to spend some time in this portion of the word. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This psalm discusses a born-again man. It is talking about you. It describes me. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It it opens up, it begins just at the point where we have become the children of God. It opens at that point. And from that point on, it moves on to speak about our relationships to the Lord, our troubles down here, and then the attitude that we ought to have while we walk this earthly journey. It begins with this tremendous declaration that the man who has his sins forgiven needs to just declare his praise and he's blessed above everything else that could possibly have a blessing. The most blessed thing in all this universe, beloved, is a person whose sin is covered, whose transgression has been pardoned. And that's the way this psalm opens. So the very first thing that you and I must recognize is that we're in a position of blessing. We're in a place of blessing right now. And this question of how our sin is forgiven and how our sin is covered is indeed a very blessed question at this point. In verse 2 we read, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And at this point you would think that he's moving in to talk to us about our Savior. Blessed is the man, and this is the man, to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Well, there is no guile in our Savior. And, of course, the Lord does not in any way impute iniquity to him in the sense that he was a sinner or that he became a sinner. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ was without iniquity. He was without sin. And blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. But I think, however, in view of the fact that we have some quotations here from the New Testament where these references are made, that unquestionably the direct reference is, of course, to you and me. And may I ask you please to turn to the epistle to the Romans, the fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle, he makes... Certainly a direct reference to this uh, 32nd Psalm. 
And in verse 6 he says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So here's a direct quotation from the 32nd Psalm found by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. There's no question but what he's talking about you. He's talking about me. And David at this point in the epistle to the Romans is making the argument that justification is by faith and works has nothing to do with it. And furthermore, the righteousness which we have received now is not of our own. It's not of our production. It's not in any way related to merit or to your qualifications or to anything. It is a righteousness which is imputed to us. It's given to us. It's reckoned to us. It's put to our account by the Almighty God. You know, when you get to a passage like this and you come to Romans, the fourth chapter, and you hear the, the great apostle to the Gentiles saying, David spoke of these matters. And you move back into this 32nd Psalm and lay your hands on the words of, Davis, of David. You must recognize one thing, that the way of salvation is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. You must recognize that there is no difference so far as righteousness is concerned in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Righteousness isn't some progressive sort of thing that evolves. Righteousness is a manifestation of the holiness of our God and the expression of the desire of our God for our conduct. And that is righteousness. And what we have here in this 32nd Psalm is an exposition of the gospel in the Old Testament. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is the man whose iniquities are covered. And the only way in the world you can have your iniquity covered and your sin forgiven is by the work of the Lord and the Lamb upon the cross where he died for our justification and he was raised again by the power of God. Oh, how you love to preach out of this Old Testament. Do you know what the Old Testament saints did? They had to look forward to the coming of Christ the first time. And their salvation was based on the promise that there would be a cross, that there would be a sacrifice, that there would be a resurrection. Their salvation was based upon their faith that this would take place on the basis of the promises of God. And you and I standing where we are 2,000 years beyond the cross, we look back to the promise having been fulfilled, to the cross having been erected, 
to the death having been accomplished, to the atonement having been accepted, and so we preach the gospel of reconciliation on the basis of what happened 2,000 years ago. But in the day of David, he was preaching the gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation on the basis of the promise that it would take place when the Messiah and the seed of the woman came and he would indeed bruise the head of the serpent. My, when you think of David and the time he wrote this great psalm back there in the thousand years before our Savior came, you think of how these Old Testament saints all believed exactly like you and I believe so far as Christ is concerned, but the work had not been accomplished in history yet. But for you and me, the work has been accomplished in history already. And we're proclaiming the good news of what's happened. They proclaimed the good news of what would happen. But they believed to the saving of their souls. And when they were saved and believed, the Lord then no longer imputed to them their iniquities and their sins because their sin was covered and it was covered by the blood of Christ. You know, I have an interesting time sometimes in discussing this matter of the coming of the Lord and we, of course, are all premillennialists and we believe the Lord is coming any moment. He may take us to be with himself. But we have a great deal of uh, enjoyment out of asking these gentlemen that want to break things up and they don't want to believe in this. Uh, when the Lord comes, just who is going to be raised from the dead? When the Lord comes in the clouds of heaven... To receive us to himself. How's this thing going to all be broken up? How's it going to be arranged? Just who is going to be raised from the dead? Beloved, every single soul for whom Christ died is going to be raised from the dead. Including Adam and Eve, including Abraham and Isaac, including David the psalmist. And all the Old Testament saints were saved by this faith that you and I have. And we're all going to be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there will be no exceptions. Beloved, when you stop and think of what our God is going to do and the tremendous manifestation of his power that everybody from Adam and Eve down to this present moment who believes in the Son and who've been born into his kingdom, everyone throughout all the centuries that's passed on and their bodies have gone back to the dust and into the elements, that in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, quicker than you can split an atom, that God bring them all up together with new and glorified bodies in his likeness and his image, we believe in a God of tremendous power. We believe in an almighty God who is able to deliver his people and that's what we're speaking of here in this blessed psalm. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is that man whose iniquity is covered. 
And then we read on down verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wax old through my roaring all the day. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Beloved, there was a time before you knew the Lord. There was a time before you entered into this estate of grace. There was a time before you knew what it meant to have your sins covered. There was a time when you were in sin and you were in great distress and you were in great trouble. My, when we heard the reading of this blessed testimony on Friday night, and this dear brother of whom I spoke and read his testimony, how he took his stand for Christ and came out from the bondage of the uh, Dominican priesthood where he'd been for some seven years. Beloved, he told us that it was a bondage that just completely rolled off his back. He had come out from under that which had enslaved him and had held him down. And beloved, the ungodly man, the unregenerate man, the man who's without Christ is described here in that third verse and in that fourth verse. That is your description. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And then we turn into verse 5 and what do we have? I acknowledge my sin. Lord, I came to the place where I just had to say I am a sinner and I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity have I not hid. Lord, there came to that place when I just couldn't stand it any longer and I said, Lord, I am a sinner and I'm going to confess my iniquity. I'm not going to hide it any longer. And blessed is the man whose sin is covered. And you come to the Lord and you come to him and you confess that sin and he pardons that sin and he makes out of you a new creature in Jesus Christ. And all in the world, this 32nd Psalm is, is the normal experience of a man who comes to Christ. The 32nd Psalm is a description of a man. Blessed is he. Oh, the Lord's taken his iniquity. He gave it all to Christ and Christ paid it. And now there'll be no imputation of sin to you any longer. And then he cries out, when I was silent, before I made a confession, before I opened my mouth, before I acknowledged my transgressions, in those days he said the hand of the Lord was heavy against me. And I was in great distress and great trouble. I had no peace. I had no understanding. I didn't know what to but I turned and I confessed my sin look at that verse I acknowledge my sin verse 5 I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord and that's what they did in the Old Testament and that's what we do in the New Testament if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And beloved, all the gospel that you and I have in the New Testament, it's all in the Old Testament. The same grace, the same message, the same justification, the same redeemer, the same hope, the same promise. It's all in this book. 
You know, beloved, if you and I had been living back in the day when David wrote this psalm and it was put here in this book, and you could have heard David expound it, wouldn't have been a marvelous thing to have David get up and tell you about the psalm he wrote? David would tell you that he is here preaching the gospel. That's what he'd tell you. That's all in the world it is. And you people, we think the Old Testament is a difficult book and we don't spend too much time in it anymore. So many preachers never touch on it. Especially the modernists, they're afraid of its judgments. They stay away from it. But oh, beloved, we forget that this precious book from the day that our first parents fell into sin and God gave them the promise that the seed of that woman would deal with the head of that serpent until the very end of the book of Revelation where we have a new heavens and a new earth. It is the blood of the Lord that cleanses. And it's always been and only will be the same message. And in the light of the New Testament, we look back into the Old Testament and we so see so clearly this glorious gospel message in this book. All right, now look just a little further. He said, I will confess my transgressions and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sins. The Lord forgave the iniquity of my sins. You know this 32nd Psalm is a Protestant psalm? It's a Protestant psalm. Who is going to forgive the iniquity of your sins? The Lord. He did it. Now, after he's gotten through confessing his sin, acknowledge it, notice the term. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall come nigh unto thee. He says there come troubles and disasters and all these sort of things come upon us and it makes us turn to God. And verse 7, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. Selah. The psalmist says, Now I've come into the knowledge of salvation. I've received forgiveness. I've made my confession of iniquity to thee. Thou hast pardoned me. And now, Lord God, I'm going to stay with thee. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to talk with you. And in the times of trouble, I'll find you. And when the deep floods, waters begin to roll, they'll not overtake me. And thou art my hiding place, Lord. And beloved, the hiding place for every believer is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we go for security. That's where we go for comfort. That's where we go in time of trouble. That's where we go for strength. Thou art my hiding place. Now, beloved, this psalm moves. And I want to show you something. I want to show you something just as sweet as you could possibly ask for. It says, I'm going to have a hiding place. I'm going to get right into that place where I'll be close to the Lord. I'll get right there where I'll be near to Him. He's my trouble helper. He's with me in all my distresses. I'll just get as close to Him as I can. And when you get just as close to Him as you can, you know what He does to you? 
He talks to you. Look at the next verse. You've reached a point in the modulation and the movement of this psalm in this great place. I will instruct thee. Who is the I talking? It's God talking. It's the Lord talking. The Lord comes in. You've gotten in his hiding place. You've gotten there in that place where you know you'll be safe from trouble. And he says, now listen to me. I want to talk to you. You're my child. I love you. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Who is it that's speaking, beloved? Who's going to guide you with his eye? Who's going to look after you? Who's going to watch you? Well, tell me who he's talking about. Beloved, you see the movement of this magnificent song. Blessed is that man whose sin is forgiven. Look how it was done. No longer is there any imputation of guilt or sin to him. It was all put on Christ in the cross. And then he goes back and says, Oh, I was in such trouble before. I, the Lord's hand was against me and I was in sin and I was in terrible misery. Then I acknowledged my sin. I came to the cross and the Lord abundantly pardoned me. And then after I became the child of the Lord, then I went out in all my troubles. I knew the Lord would be with me. He would take care of me. And I said, Thou art my hiding place. I'll come to Thee. I'll rest in Thee. And when you get to that place where you've come to Him and where you've rested in Him, what happens? He says, I'll guide you with mine eye. I'll be there. Read the rest of that, will you, beloved? Look at that song. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse. You're not a horse, beloved. You're a child of God now. Or as the mule. Some of you people are just as stubborn as mules. I know that. Be not as the horse. Be not as the mule. Look at it which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Do you know a lot of you people need some bridles? You need some bits? He says, don't be like the horses. Oh, beloved, you've got to have something that'll hold you and something to guide you. And you get a bit in the horse's mouth and the bridle, and you can pull him this way, and you can pull him that way. He says, don't find yourself in a position where you have to have bits and bridles and somebody down there has to direct your ways. And beloved, our old world outside of Christ is bits and bridles. That's what it has. And men are being driven like slaves about this old earth today. Be not like the horse. Be not like the mule. Don't find yourself where others are taking to guide you and direct you and to compel you. You let me take charge of you. You let me guide you with my eye. You let me give you the instruction. You listen to the living God. That's what he asked you to do. My, don't you like the language of Scripture? Look at that whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle lest they come near to thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Now let's go back to the point where the Lord began to talk directly to you. Look at that verse, verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. Do you know what he's given us to do that with? His word, that's all. I will instruct thee. I, he says, will guide thee. I will teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. Now, beloved, the first thing I want you to know about that particular text is he expects you to go someplace. He expects us to be on the move. He expects us to go. And he says there's one company that has to have bits and bridles. And they have to be directed and they go where somebody wants them to go. He says, now you don't have to have bits and bridles when you come to me. I'll guide you with mine eye. You don't have to have these kind of controls over you when you come to me. You come to me, he says, I'll teach you the way that you shall go. I'll give you my word, I'll give you my revelation, I'll give you my commandments, and you'll love them and you'll delight to go in this way. Oh, beloved, I'd like to stop right here and preach a whole sermon on civil rights. Be a good place to bring it in. I really would. We've got a situation now where everybody's going to have to be guided by bits and bridles. And they're in the hands of the political leaders down here to make us go this way and to make us go that way and to make us do that. We never had so many bits and bridles they're trying to put on people today. And I'm not in favor of wearing their bits. I don't want their bridles. I'm not interested in it. My Lord says, I'll guide you with mine eye. My Lord says, I'm telling you to go and I'll teach you the way that you can go. And your pastor has said it over and over again and I'm going to keep on saying it as long as I live. All the laws, all the Supreme Court decrees, everything that man has ever devised to control and regulate men can't change the hearts of sinners. All of these powers on this earth which are there to direct your path and make you go in a desired course can't take the place of the power of God in your life. If you want to have good order, let's preach the gospel and get people saved and let them preach the gospel. The situation is going to get worse and worse and worse instead of better and better and better. They're going to be manufacturing more bits and bridles for the people. And I don't want to manufacture bits and bridles to put on the people. I want to take the bridles off and let them be guided by the word. I will guide you. God can guide this nation. Someone sent me a little circular this week and I opened it up and here were two little cards. God is not dead. I talked with him this morning. God isn't dead. I talked with him this morning. We're dealing directly with the Almighty God and it is the power of God and the power of the gospel and the power of the word in your life that's going to direct your path. And the Lord says, I'll do it. I'll give it to you. I'll guide you with mine eye. 
When I look at a great church like God has given us, and I think of our community and I think of our area, beloved, every last one of us ought to be out preaching the gospel. Every last one of us ought to use every opportunity we have, every opportunity we have, in order to, to reach the men with this message that the Spirit of God may convict them. But we've got hindrances, we've got troubles. Our local paper this week published this ordinance, you know. My eye was shocked when I read it. I didn't know they'd done anything like that here in Collins, but they had an ordinance that just passed down here. I don't know when it was passed, but it seems that some of the people in the town were objecting to some program that was going, and they were out distributing literature against this, against this, uh, oh, it's this uh, discussion they're having. They were going from house to house, and they resurrected this ordinance to say that they had violated the law. And so they published the ordinance in the paper, and it's supposed to be against soliciting or canvassing, but you get on down in the body of it here, you've got these pieces of literature, and everything has to be presented, and everything has to be approved. And, uh, beloved, it, it's, it just goes way, way afield. And when I think that just the other week, this dear fellow from Canada came down here and went to our convocation and went up through North Jersey here and he was just distributing something and they arrested him and put him in jail overnight and he came back for a trial on Monday and they fined him $50 and what was he putting out? Well I have the two pieces of literature. One of them's a little folder booklet, beautifully colored, not a thing in it except just quotations from the Bible, not a thing. And the second piece was another little piece of folder announcing Sermons from Science, which is published by Moody Bible Institute, and they're going to have special showing of it at the big World Fair in Canada. And the poor fellow was arrested, thrown in the clink overnight. He had to come back for a trial. They fined him $50, and he hadn't done a thing. He just gave out some gospel literature. That's all. And we've got an ordinance in our town that would do the same thing to somebody. Depends on a fellow that's going to enforce it or some sort of a policeman. That's all. I think the ordinance ought to be repealed. I think we ought to get it off the books of this town. I didn't know it was there. But people have a right, beloved, to go out and minister and testify and give out tracts and circulate the gospel. That's the way you get the message of salvation to sinners. When they won't come in and darken the door of a church. Oh, God says, I'll guide thee. I'll guide thee with mine eye. You know what I like about the eyes of the Lord? They run to and fro throughout the whole earth. The eyes of the Lord run throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. We've had a meeting down at our Senate this week. And we've had quite a few children down there. There are more children than ever. Seems that the children have come because the seminary students were at the Senate meeting this year and they brought all their families along. And you'd see whole little streams of these children running around down on that floor. And they'd run around like they are playing crack the whip or something once in a while. They'd just play. And you know, there was a staircase of little boys like this. Staircase up. And for some reason or other, they seemed to take a liking to me. And I'd come out in the hall, and here they'd come around me, look up at me, and say, Mr. McIntyre, and grin at me. 
And then I'd come back again. Here they'd come at me again. And I'd, I said, what's your name, son? And he told me, I said, what's your name? The name. But one time I went to get on the elevator and they ran in ahead of me. And they were just having a good time with me. And I said, boys, what's wrong with you? They said, Mr. McIntyre, we like to be around you. I didn't tell them they shouldn't talk that way unless they want to stay a long time. And then when the little boy lifted up his face and he beamed, he says, Someday, he said, I'd like to be a preacher like you. That little boy said that to me. You know, my heart just, just, just opened up. If what we're doing inspires these little boys around us, I'd like to be a preacher. I'd like to be a preacher. Beloved, the only hope of this country today is to get some preachers in it who'll tell the people to take off the blind bridles, who'll tell the people to take the bits out of their mouths and to come back and let God guide them with His eye. Let them go to the churches where we're preaching the Word of God. Let them go and hear men who are holding up before them an infallible rule of faith and practice. Let them go and hear it. It's the only hope there is. All right, now let me give you the progression and the outline of the psalm again so you won't forget it. Psalm 32. No question about our interpretation because it's quoted in Romans 4, verse 6, 7, and 8. There it is. But it starts out with you. With your sins forgiven. You've made your confession. You've been justified. Your sins are covered. And then it emphasizes the fact that no longer will God impute iniquity to you. He put all your iniquity on Christ. That's where it is. Christ paid for it all. And then he says, you know, before I found the Lord, before I was saved, I had all kinds of burdens, all kinds of troubles. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He said, I was just miserable. I had no I didn't know what I believed. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know anything until I came to the Lord. And then he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin. There came to a day I was in evangelistic campaign. The preacher was denouncing sin. And I acknowledge my sins. I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And I came into the knowledge of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, after I accepted the Lord, he says, I went on my way. And he says, I found that the Lord was with me. And I even found that he was my hiding place. The more I knew him, the closer I wanted to get to him. And then when I got into this great hiding place where the Lord was taking care of me, he began to talk to me. He began to speak to me. And he said, I'll guide you. I'll show you the way. I'll teach you. I'll give you good instruction. You listen to me. You get it from my word. And he says, then my eye will follow you and my eye will go before you and I'll take care of you. And he says, don't you be like the horse. The country's full of horses. Don't you be like the old, uh, uh, what was it? Not the horse, but it was the, uh, uh, the mule. I was thinking of an old cow, but I guess it's a mule. 
Be not like the old mule and that they're stubborn. You don't have to have bridles. You don't have to be pulled around. You don't have to be driven by the police. You don't have to be regulated by some sort of civil rights legislation to make you love the colored man. You don't have to have that. You come and let, let my spirit, let my word, let my power move into your life. And beloved, to have a country full of people who are letting God regulate their lives. Why wouldn't that be magnificent? But it'll never be that way until we preach the gospel that men might come to Christ and be saved. And then you have the final great conclusion where he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And when you get to the end of a story like this, you do want to shout. Shout for joy. He's going to take care of us to the end of the way. All right, let's turn now and sing hymn number 321. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. As we go to Delaware, give us a safe trip. May there be no mishaps along the way, on the highway. Bring the people in in great numbers, and may we see a movement for separation this afternoon, a movement for reformation this afternoon, a movement for revival this afternoon. Oh, God, may we preach today. For Christ's sake, amen.